On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talk about council's decision, sort of, sort of a decision. Ty goes to the runner, I guess. Anyway, Ty goes to the inhaler because cannabis is now legal storefronts anyway selling in Hamilton. Do you agree with that one? We'll talk about that. We're going to be chatting about dreams. Why can we not, most of us, remember what we dreamed when we wake up? An expert on the topic joins us to discuss it. And Don Robertson and I chat about CFL in Mexico. We chat about celebrations in the NHL. All that coming up on the podcast. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Just within the last half hour or so, Hamilton City Council has made a decision by not really making a decision as only seemingly certain councils could do at times. And I, look, I have, I have given and I will continue to give Hamilton City Council credit when credit is due. I am not a council basher. I am not a blanket, these people are all idiots person. I don't believe that. I believe they make good decisions at times. I believe they make hard decisions at times. Today seems a little ridiculous that a decision that they have known was coming for months and months and months, months at least, ends up in a tie. And I got a bunch of things about this. And I do want to hear from you, 905-645-3221 or star 9900, about whether you are glad that Hamilton is now going to be a yes cannabis city, that we are going to allow storefronts to operate in this city selling legal cannabis. Love to know if you think that this is a good day or a bad day that council has come to the decision, even though I just don't understand a couple things. Let's start with this. Before we even get to the cannabis side of things, how exactly is it that we have allowed ourselves to become a city that has an even number of councillors? Does it not make all the sense in the world that every council should have an odd number so you don't end up with a tie? Because even though a tie means something, in this case it means that we by default become a yes city, we really haven't voted. Now, after, so there were two votes. The first vote was on a motion by Sam Marula, Councillor Sam Marula, to opt out of this. That was an 8-8 tie. A second vote was 10-6 in favor, but the 10-6 in favor is really symbolic because the only one that really mattered was the first one because by law in the province of Ontario, that 8-8 tie vote meant that the motion was defeated and by default, by forfeit, we then become a yes cannabis city. So the next vote about 10-6 is only for appearances because at that point it doesn't really matter. They could have voted for 16 to nothing since it didn't matter. But how do we have a council that has an even number of people in it? That doesn't make any sense at all to me to begin with. Something to think about. Now, we're not going to change anything, I'm sure, because no one wants to lose a seat and we've changed, just changed city council, but that seems dumb. And you knew this was going to be coming. As soon as you have a council that has an equal number, an even number, you're going to have ties. And then you have nobody happy with how things get decided because we didn't have a winner. We had a win by default. This is like a team not showing up to play the game. So they win. So another team wins one, nothing. That's that. That's ties do nothing to help 
democracy. They don't. I'm sorry, they don't. They, they come across as weak and indecisive. And even though these are individual councillors, each making their own decision, we do judge and we do look at Hamilton City Council as a group, and as a group, they look like they couldn't make a decision. Individually, yes, as a group, the appearance is, no, really couldn't figure it out. That's not, that's not good with this topic. I'm sorry, it isn't. We should have had a clear or clearer or even majority by one decision on this one. So something to think about for next time we're going to come to a municipal election. Maybe we, if we have to, if we don't want to lose another councillor, maybe we ought to add one so we don't have an even number again because votes don't work well when you have even numbers of people. But beyond that, Are you happy with the way the vote ended up going today, despite themselves? That we are now a city that is going to allow cannabis to be sold to licensed operators, legal cannabis to be sold to licensed operators. There was great question about whether this would happen. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Frank joins me first. Frank, how are you today? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you are, and whether you're delighted or not, uh, you haven't uh, come about that. I, I... I do think, though, that what you said about an even amount of people voting does not sort of part up to the odd number of winning. Well, we don't have a winner or a loser here. We have a draw, which then by default becomes a winner. But that to me seems like, and maybe it doesn't matter, Frank, but it seems unsatisfying. Hold on a second here. Default becomes a winner. Does that mean that any game you play in this world and you come up with a tie, you don't have a shootout? (laughs) Well, you but know, they don't have, how do you, how would you possibly, because you've already used up all your votes. What are you going to have the city manager, make you, that person isn't elected. It becomes impossible. This is my point. It should be an uneven, it should be an odd number sent, of voters. I'm not going to carry on. I sent you an email here just moments ago or a message, and I, I want you to just take a look at it. I don't want to keep on the line here with others right and trying to get in on it. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the people in that council um, uh, invested in cannabis when this all started, you know, and uh, well, I'll leave it at that. Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting about Hamilton City Council's decision just within the past hour to, by default, they tied on their original vote, which made it a yes. That's where it falls to. If it's tied, they couldn't decide whether to decide to opt out of being a cannabis city or in as a cannabis city tie vote because the initial the initial vote was that we should opt out because it was a tie that loses the other wins so by default it was yes we're going to be a cannabis city want to hear what you think about that whether you're happy that that's the way the vote went 905-645-3221 or star 9900 before i go to the phones though i just want to say one thing there were a number of councillors who said things today. Many of them, I think maybe all of them, spoke at this meeting today and gave their point of view on this. There were a couple, maybe more than a couple, the ones that I was able to catch, who talked about the black market and how this is going to keep things safe and this is going to help control things and stop the black market to some degree. Look, let's at least be honest about one thing. Hamilton going into the cannabis sector and allowing storefronts to open here is about money, tax dollars, 
plain and simple, end of story, period, exclamation mark, highlighted, underlined, italicized, whatever. It is about tax dollars. Anybody who thinks that somehow opening up a few storefronts is going to end the black market is in dreamy land. And we're going to talk about dreams next segment, but that's not the kind of dreams. They are in absolute imaginary world. There have been licensed cigarettes forever. There is still a black market. Find anything where something is legalized, there is still a black market. And why? Because the tax revenues drive up the prices of these things. And while some people will say, I'd rather buy the legal stuff, even if it costs more money, others will say, I'm not paying that when I can get it for this. So let's at least be clear about one thing. You're, you're full, you can like it. I want to hear from you whether you do like this idea. But the reality is, this is about nothing more than the tax revenue that may or may not be coming in. Although some are arguing it's going to cost us more money. But where do you stand on this today? Assuming that we are concluding, which I believe we should, that this is a revenue generating move, nothing else. That alone, is that enough for you to be happy that we are going to be a cannabis licensed, cannabis legal city? Fred joins me now. Fred, how are you tonight? Not bad, Scott. Nice to hear from you. You too. I, uh, I'm i not happy with this because it's just a smelling thing. Uh, anyways, uh, rules of order, usually there is a person that breaks the vote is the mayor. But somebody on the council is involved with, uh, involved with this stuff and they can't vote. Okay. No, used to be. Council. Used to be. Well, I understand that he still does. Are you talking about the mayor? Because the mayor had okay. investments in... Okay, you brought that out. I did No, no, and, and he divested himself of those, and was it was said that he now, because he doesn't have investments in this, that he could participate again in the discussion. Yeah, so he could break the vote because he, the mayor he is the last vote. Except that the vote with him was tied. Okay, I, I didn't see that, but anyways, what yeah. you told me. But anyways, that's what I was quite surprised of that. No, the, the, mayor, the mayor in this case did nothing improper. He had been cleared to be involved in this, and so he, that, that's, that's in, okay. he was entitled to do this. Okay. But this stuff is not going to be good because uh, when you, it's bad enough when you smell people that smoke regular cigarettes. Now you're going to have people smelling like this beside you or around you. It's disgusting. And uh, anyways, there's only going to be two places in Hamilton, according to law, that I understand, that through government that can sell this stuff. So other people still sell it, as you say. I, I, uh, I agree with you. It's still going to go on the way it has been. Fred, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Scott sent a tweet saying, this is illegal tax, legal, not illegal. This is legal tax revenue. So we might as well get rid of LCBO and beer stores if the logic is that we don't want to jump into this because this is now legal. Well, Scott has a point. Scott absolutely has a point. And the and to his point, I'm going to jump on this again with what I said before. Let's not pretend. If you're in favor of this, that's okay. Because the vote was today that it is going to be going ahead in this city. But this is about money. Anybody who's coming up with any kind of high-flying, philosophical, nanny state, all those kind of other things, looking after the children, blah, 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 that is 
that is not realistic. Maybe to a tiny, tiny, tiny degree. This is about money and tax revenue and not wanting to pass up on tax revenue. The black market is still going to exist. If a year from now, if a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, at the police services board, they come forward with their annual stats and they say, my golly, not one person was busted for dealing drugs, cannabis in particular. Not one dealer was out there. We have cleared the streets of all this. Hallelujah, the storefronts have done this. It is a miracle. Yes, it will be a miracle. This is not what is going to happen. There will still be people looking to buy from the dealers because it is going to be much cheaper. Could it be, will it be, should it be safer? Safer if you buy it from the storefront? Yes, it should. Does that mean everybody's going to do it? No, because it's going to be cheaper to go to your street corner dealer still. And people will do that. Sorry. It's about money. And if you, and it's okay. If you, if you, as long as we can agree and understand why we're doing this, let's not pretend otherwise. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Last week we were chatting about I have no idea what, I can't remember, but we were chatting about something here on the show and the idea, the, the topic of dreams came up and it was said that we couldn't remember what it was that we dreamed when we woke up in the morning. And I told you at that time, I said, I'm going to find, so I'm not nearly smart enough to understand why that is. Cause it's always puzzled me why it is that I can be dreaming something and a minute later, poof, gone, nothing, no recollection for me at all. But I said, I would find someone who is smart enough to be able to answer that question. Well, let's consider that done. Uh, Let me bring on my next guest. Dr. Deirdre Lee Barrett is a psychology professor at Harvard Medical School where she teaches courses on dreaming. She's a past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. She's the author of four books, including The Committee of Sleep. She has a resume as long as my arm. I'm not going to read it all because I want to have time to actually talk to her about the subject, Uh, but she joins us now, Dr. Barrett, thanks for doing this today. Hi, nice to be here. When So this comes from a discussion we had last week on the show, and it, it started because when I woke up, I knew I had had a very vivid dream about something, but I could not remember for the life of me what it was, and that's not unusual. That seems to be always the case. When I wake up and have had a dream, I never remember what it was. Why is that? Well, the, the, the really simple answer is that we have different systems in our brain for short and long-term memories. And normally when we're wide awake and alert and attentive, if we do something, it gets into short-term memory, it automatically is getting transferred into long-term memory soon. But when we're asleep, our short-term memory system is pretty much as active as normal, but our long-term memory system is not turned on. So if you don't awaken out of a dream, you absolutely won't remember it at all if you just pass back into a deeper stage of sleep, the dream is lost forever. And even if you feel like you dreamed it in the middle of the night and you didn't wake up till morning, an EEG would show a little tiny micro awakening right after that dream where it did get the chance to get into longer term memory. So one can talk about it as areas of the brain. There's a midbrain area associated with this transfer that's not as electrically active. Um, Norepinephrine is the transmitter that's chemically the most important 
to the long-term memory system, it's it's not there in in the same amount at all while we're dreaming as when we're awake. So basically, you have to wake up, and your long-term memory system has to turn on and start st- storing it. So that's both why we don't remember lots of them, and it's also why even if you remember it, it's so fragile at first that you can end up remembering, oh, well, I had this elaborate dream. Wait a minute. And then you remember one little tiny bit of it, but not necessarily all of it. Yes. As you descri- it's in your short-term memory, and it can really slip away, you know, even if you're recalling it. As you're describing that, I have to wonder, that description almost sounds like someone who has dementia. Is it the same brain function that is affecting someone who has dementia, who can't remember something short-term? Is it the same thing? Um, it, no, actually, the the most common syndrome is in dementia is that people's long-term memory system is more retained and they have pretty much no short-term. So it's the opposite. Okay. Forming new. So yeah, it's, so it, it is, I mean, it's involving the two systems, but, but they're out of whack in a different way in dementia versus dream recall. Dr. Barrett, this may be the most basic question of all, but why do we dream? Um, there's not good agreement on that. Most dreams happen in rapid eye movement sleep, which is a physiologic state the brain gets into every 90 minutes during sleep. And clearly that is really important for rebalancing our temperature control, for laying down memories, for all sorts of physiologic processes. Um, but but we think that anything that's been around in evolution since the start of mammals has just purpose after purpose layered on top. And for humans, it it seems to have a lot of psychological and cognitive purposes. I I think it's is it healthy? A little bit of a fallacy in in just asking why we dream or what are dreams for. I think that's kind of analogous to asking what waking thought is for or why we have okay, thoughts. Okay. I mean, or at least in expecting a one-sentence answer. I think, you know, thinking is for everything. I think in a sense, dreams are for everything. We're worrying about our anxieties and we're acting out our fantasies and usually we're thinking about personal emotional stuff, but other times we're even working on work stuff. People sometimes solve very practical, important problems in a dream. So I think it's for a lot of things, even though it's in this brain state that's much more visual and much less verbal. Is it believed to be healthy for us psychologically? Um, yes. Or, or yes. is it, or is it neutral? Um, it, it looks like dreaming itself is very important. Anything that really interferes with dream time tends to have some bad emotional and cognitive effects. But, however, back to your original question about memory, it doesn't look like remembering dreams is necessarily uh, that important. It may be that what what they are doing, they are doing whether we have a conscious narrative memory of them or not. There's so many things I want to keep going. We have to take a break in just a second here. But what, before we get there, why do we sometimes have, do we know why sometimes we have good dreams and why do we have bad dreams? Um, well, I mean, again, I think that's almost as broad as the question of why we sometimes have nice thoughts versus scary thoughts. I mean, definitely whether we've had a good day or a bad day, 
you know, feed into happy dreams or anxious dreams. Big traumas in childhood play into what your proportion is. But I think it's there's a strong correlation between daytime anxiety and nighttime anxiety dreams. So it's a lot of the same factors. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Dr. Deirdre Lee Barrett is an assistant professor of psychology at the Department of Psychiatry at uh, Harvard University. She is an expert on this topic. And just before the break, Dr. Barrett, you were talking about how your dream, whether it's a good dream or a bad dream, while way too complicated for the time we have, I get that, but is sometimes affected by things that have gone on in the day. You are bringing things into your dream, as I understand it. Does that mean then that potentially your dreams could be somewhat controllable by what you decide to think about before you go to bed? Yes, definitely. Um, dream, dream recall, if you just want to remember more of your dreams, is amenable to self-suggestion right at bedtime. If you, I've got much more elaborate instructions in my book, The Committee of Sleep, but the really short version, if you're trying just to recall dreams, is as you're falling asleep to tell yourself, I want to remember my dreams, I want to remember my dreams tonight, and kind of picture yourself waking up, you know, with with a dream in mind and then equally important is when you first wake up in the morning if you make sure not to turn your attention to anything else and just lie there still and if you if you clearly recall a dream best to write it down or dictate it but at least go over it in your mind but if you don't think you recall one just stay with did you wake up a little sad or did you wake up thinking about your brother And sometimes if you just stay with what was on your mind as you woke up, a dream will come rushing back like, Hmm. oh, yeah, I was sad because I dreamed about my brother and he was leaving. Um, And and it would be totally gone, but it's it's retrievable right there in the the first moment of awakening. But you can use a similar process if you want to dream simply more happy dreams, dream about particular topics, just like a lot of people like flying dreams. I want to have a flying dream tonight. Again, self-suggestion at bedtime that you want to dream about a person, a place, the answer to a particular question, um, and and kind of visualizing something that goes with it. If it's, if it's a person, simply their face. But if it's a question or problem, something that, that symbolizes that for you. Because dreams are so visual. That's the part of our brain that's the most active during dreaming that phrasing the request in a visual way too makes it likelier to happen and then again the same suggestion about lying there just seeing if you're remembering anything when you first wake up because that's when most of dream recall gets lost it's stunning that it's so simple that we don't that people don't commonly know this then, because I've not heard that before, those explanations and, and what you're advising, what you're suggesting is so simple. And it just amazes me that we had, that that's not common knowledge then if we can just control it that easily. I find the people that have high dream recall are, are more aware that they can control their dreams. I mean, a lot of people, like you say, have just never heard of that concept. But on the other hand, when I was interviewing scientists and composers and all kinds of professionals about whether they use their dreams when I was writing the Committee of Sleep. I I was struck in the opposite direction at how many 
of them would say, yes, I've developed a technique, and they would sort of tell me their own home-style variation on what all of the psychologists that advocate that sort of bedtime dream incubation talk about. They would have worked out their, you know, their quirky version of their own and be telling me how often they, they solve problems in their dreams if they ask their dreams to as they're falling asleep. The one thing about dreaming that I've always found most fascinating, because again, I, I rarely, and I'm going to try this, but I rarely remember when I wake up. It's a real, real oddity if I can remember what I was dreaming about. But I do seem at times, especially if it's an intense or bad or scary or stressful dream, I do seem to be able to, in my sleep, tell myself that this is a dream. Is that common? Can people generally convince themselves, don't worry about it, this is just a dream? Uh, I mean, it's not like in the average dream, people aren't doing that. But most people, if you ask, have been able to do that in some dream at some point in their life. And if you really work at it, you can you can get better at it. Um, so, yeah, just just tell yourself tonight as you're falling asleep that you really want to remember your dreams. And then the one the one really important thing I haven't said yet, it's the most superficial, but it's important is get enough sleep. Mm. We're dreaming every 90 minutes, but each dream takes a longer period of time. The first are just several minutes, and then it's like 20 minutes by morning. So if you sleep four hours instead of eight, you're not getting half your dream time. You're getting about 20% of your dream time. Just before I let you go, because we're short on time, and I wish we had more time, but because we've had many dreams during the night, do you ever remember the earlier ones, or if you're going to remember one, is it always the one right before you wake up? The the before you wake up one is the most common, but many people, myself included, recall multiple dreams through the night, hmm. and it doesn't feel to me subjectively like I'm waking up, but sleep lab recordings say that those of us that recall more than one dream have woken up, if only for half a minute in the middle of the night. It is a really unbelievably fascinating topic. Her name is Dr. Deirdre Lee Barrett. Her book, at least one of her books, is called The Committee of Sleep. I'm sure it can be found places. People can look around and find this book. Yeah. It sounds Amazon like it's something. Amazon and any other comments. Perfect. The Committee of Sleep, uh, Deirdre Lee Barrett. Really, really appreciate you taking time to do this today. Thank you. Nice talking to you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. No, there has been, uh, there was coverage today and a lot of discussion today about something that happened south of the border. And when I say south of the border, I mean south of the south of the border. Down in Mexico, Canadian Football yeah. League had a combine and then they had a draft for Mexican football players that have now been drafted by Canadian Football League teams. And this is part of a, what seems to be a reach out, and not an expansion per se, because we're not talking about teams right now going to Mexico, but a, an outreach effort to Mexico for the Canadian Football League, which is lovely. But I'm trying my darndest to figure out, in a best-case scenario, if, if the CFL's expanding idea, and again, not putting teams in Mexico, I don't think that's the idea here, but in a best case scenario that everything goes as well as possible, what is the upside to the CFL for all this? Because I don't see it. 
I, presumably, there'll be imports. They're not going to be classified as Canadians, obviously. Okay, so there'll be some Mexican players there. So I I followed this a little bit. What I what escapes me, and uh, some would say a lot does, but why is this new? I mean, if there's players in Mexico that are good enough to help CFL teams, why has it taken until 2020? to be able to draft them and or start talking about bringing them up? And why do they have an exclusive uh, draft of Mexican players? Why wouldn't they just put the good ones on a negotiation list like they do with college football players? Well, well, so, yeah, why do you need to hold a special thing? Remember back in 19, early 1980s when Pat Gillick was the general manager of the Blue Jays? They, they were the first started yanking team. guys out of the Dominican. They, hit, they went to the Dominican and said, here yeah. is an untapped resource there are great players here, Domiso Garcia and Tony Fernandez and George Bell and on and on and on. So a smart CFL team, if Mexico is just overrun with these talented, amazing, untapped football players, the Hamilton Tiger Cats should have been down there five years ago. The Toronto Argonauts should have been down there five years ago. 25 years ago. And I, it's I, not like it's Cuba. It's not, it's not a communist country. You, you have access and so, uh, and, and again, I'm going to. I mean, to they'll the, play for nothing. I mean, a peso isn't worth much, so well, they, they got to be happy to be here. Yeah, but that would be for the CFL. The guys up here, a lot of them playing for almost nothing, considering what it's doing to their bodies in some cases. But so, so the answer, though, or the problem, it's not really an answer because I, I don't understand the answer. I don't know what the answer is. In a best case scenario, you get, let's say that things go really well and you find 10 guys down in Mexico who can make a CFL team next year. I think that's wildly optimistic. I think the number of Mexican players that were found during this exercise in Mexico that will make it onto a CFL team next season will be approximately zero. There won't be any. There may be one. Maybe it may be a kicker somewhere, but I, I don't think so. So you don't necessarily have this influx of players you're not planting teams down there because heaven forbid they, if the CFL didn't learn from their American expansion that was a complete disaster, if they didn't learn from that, shame on them. So you're not planting teams down there. If you, let's say you were to in, get Mexican football fans, I don't know how many of those there are, but intrigued in the CFL game and you started showing games and you got 500,000 people a game watching. How much is that? How much revenue is that bringing into the league? Because they're not going to sign a massive TV deal. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you bring in a million bucks a year. I, I just, I, I don't, there's so much effort being put into this and I don't see what the upside is. Have they, they clearly haven't said, or we would be able to chat about the rationale for doing it. I mean, the only way uh, any of the Mexican football players will play on a CFL team is if they're better than the American guys. Or Canadian. Well, no. I mean, well, you if, have to if, have a certain number of Canadians. So, I so. know, but if, but if the Mexican football players are deemed imports, the only guys they can dislodge for an import job is an American. Unless so, the CFL were to do something completely crazy, which was suggested by someone at the other office today, and that was, well, what if they make, because you've got import and non-import, or you yeah. have, what, what's the, it's not, that's not the word I don't think they're using. Well, now. It's Canadian and American. National. National and international. Yeah. Let's say they make a third one, which is Mexican. Well, so what, you have to now have a few players from the Mexican league that you've drafted. Well, that's make, potentially, if they can't make the roster already as a player better than someone from the States, 
you're then only making the roster worse. So you're diminishing the product, which doesn't well, you, seem to me to make sense. You may not make it worse, but you but then if you if you make an exception and say every team can have three Mexican nationalist player, Mexican-born players. So international players presumably would be dominantly U.S. players. And so we're going to add that you can have three Mexican-born football players on your roster. Guess whose jobs they get? The Canadian jobs. Well, except this is my point. I don't think the CFL could possibly reduce the number of Canadians and get and, and have people be okay with that. So you're then taking away American jobs and if the Mexican player wasn't already good enough to bump the American, and you're then just forcing people on who aren't as good, the roster gets worse. The game gets worse. That's my point. And yes. so I don't, I, I just, I, I see all the excitement. I see all the chatter. I see the immense coverage about this. I don't see how this helps the CFL in any way. If you're going to grow the game internationally, there has to be some end game for you where there is money at the end of the rainbow. You have to somehow see a pot of gold somewhere that you're going to bring in to enrich your league. And I don't see how that happens. Well, if the CFL are taking a page out of the NFL's book who now play a game or two in in the regular season in England, Mm -hmm. and pardon me, and the National Hockey League now play a couple games in... China and uh, Europe, because they're trying to broaden their audience, whether it's just through uh, jersey sales or the appeal internationally. If the CFL have deemed in their infinite wisdom that their market to do that clearly would not be United States, because that failed, but it may in fact be Mexico. And I, you'd have to be a lot bigger football fan than I am to know how popular football is in Mexico. Well, like I, would I don't, argue, they have a, they have a, uh, a, they league. Have a league. It's two year old league. It's not it, from, I've not been there. I've not seen it. So I'm speaking only from hearing other people talk about yeah. it. It's not that good. There's a few players in there who are good athletes, but sure. it's not a great league, but you would have to me, you would have a vastly better chance trying to build up interest in major league soccer in Mexico, where they have a huge soccer history and, and love for soccer and soccer passion than football. The only possibility that I'm looking at this and seeing is, well, right now you have Toronto that can't sell a ticket to the Argos game. I mean, those crowds are abysmal and Montreal is really suffering right now. Maybe the idea here is we can dump two or three games down in Mexico a year that can't sell here and we get a few extra tickets sold because it's a an interesting thing for them to see. It's a you know, it's something they haven't done before, maybe, but how long does that last? A couple of years, a few years until the novelty wears off? Or the wall gets built. <laughs> or the wall gets built, that's true. I think, I like, do think we'll be able to fly over the wall. I think we'll still be able to visit Mexico when the wall gets built. But that's how they're going to determine for good enough athletes. If you can clear the if wall. If you can bound over the wall, <laughs> you're in. You're a, you're a receiver. That's right. Uh, I, I, I'm just very, very puzzled by it because I think the CFL has a few problems of its own to deal with right now. It's got a team that it wants to put in Halifax and no stadium and millions and millions of dollars it's going to have to find. I think you've got, been reading about this the other day, a, 
a sense that younger people are not buying this, what the CFL is selling yet. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the, that was one of the suggestions that, that the younger football fans are all going NFL or many of them. And so you've got to catch that audience. I think there's a lot of things the CFL needs to do. I'm not sure that putting your attention into Mexico makes any sense to me. It just doesn't. I think uh, some of the NFL appeal is the gambling. Yes. And pools. Yes. That everybody wants to be in. Uh, I don't ever hear people talking about CFL pools. So young guys, if you want to. There are some, but it's not like. But it's not like the NFL. It's not like the NFL. And the NFL, other than Green Bay, almost all, I'm trying to think, doing a quick mental checklist. Maybe there's one other one. All the teams in the NFL are massive major American cities that every person in Mexico has heard of. Everybody in Mexico has heard of Jacksonville, even if that's one of the smaller ones, or Buffalo, or Pittsburgh, or Philadelphia. And Green Bay is historic, so you can get away with that one. Has everybody in Mexico heard of Saskatchewan or Winnipeg? I don't know. I I don't know. But the, the NFL is on such a different plane. The coverage, oh, yeah. the exposure, um, everything is on such a different level that if you drop a, an NFL game down in Mexico City or Mexico wherever, you're going to draw a crowd. I'm, I don't know if that's the case with the CFL. They were supposed to play an NFL game in Mexico and the, the field wasn't up right. to snuff. I think it was a, it was either a Chargers or a Rams game. Yep, and they're and, and they're talking about putting a team down there at some point. So I mean, and so I again, think once they once they have the nine teams they're looking for to play in L.A. <laughs> who didn't have a team for twenty years and now they have sixteen teams. They want I think they want to have an entire division in L.A. Just L.A. But so Don, let's say that let's let's pl- let's play this even further. You're the CFL. You're thinking long term. Hey, we got an opportunity to really build our brand and put our footprint down in Mexico and the NFL decides now that we've put a team in Vegas and we've got our teams in Los Angeles, our next stop is to put a full-time team in Mexico City. Any work the CFL has done is toast because you can't compete with the NFL on that field. You can't in that market. Once the NFL has set up shop there, you're done. I'm, I'm concerned, quite frankly, not necessarily this year or next year, but I'm concerned for the Las Vegas Golden Knights once the Las Vegas NFL team shows up in Vegas. Well, I think the uh, the blessing for the Golden Knights was they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year, and they're not a bad hockey team still. But that's why I'm <clears> concerned <throat> for them. But if they, well, you'd, you'd have a lot more concern if they'd sucked for two years. Well, and is they it? haven't, so they can get their footprint in there. They're still selling out. <clears throat> they're still doing very well, and that should give them a shot. But doesn't that make it even worse for them then that when it inevitably turns into a losing team? Because every team has their ups and downs. Oh, the Leafs, they weren't in a short slump 50 years. But if Vegas in two years becomes a non-playoff team right when the NFL is arriving, that it was, look, it was a lot of fun when they made it to the finals yep. last year. Everybody, everybody was, was a was Golden great. Knights fan. Yep. Everybody liked that store. There was a few people who were sourpusses about it, but pretty much everyone said, "What this is," well, and the people who were sourpusses were all the other NHL teams who were saying, "Wait a second, 
what's going on here? But most people were saying, this is a terrific story. They put on a great show, blah, blah, blah. But th- when the day comes that they lose and the fans have grown accustomed to winning and now the NFL caravan and circus has rolled into town, I'm concerned for the Golden Knights. It is going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of work for them to, to stay relevant mm-hmm. unless they are always winning. Don't be too concerned. It's not your money, but I understand what you're saying. The... Um when you talk about the CFL being in Mexico, it might be a tough sell. You're right. Bringing Saskatchewan in one week and then two weeks later you bring the Halifax Schooners in. If such a thing ever exists, yes. There are, I think most people in Mexico are familiar with Toronto. Yep. I would think most people in Mexico, and I, like I'm not diminishing Mexicans. Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto. Yeah, I'm, and Ottawa maybe. I'm not diminishing Mexicans' intelligence by any stretch, but I, I don't think most Americans south of Virginia have ever heard of Hamilton, quite frankly, or Winnipeg necessarily, or a lot of the other places, or Saskatchewan or Regina. The, what teams in Mexico have, have teams? Say that again? Do you know what uh, centers in Mexico have teams? In this football league? Yeah, I, I certainly don't. No, and and even if I told you the names of them, because I saw the list of them today, or some of them, yeah. you don't know them. You don't know them any better than they know Winnipeg or Hamilton. That's what I meant. That was my point. Right. So, 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 so if you, you tell me the names, uh, once you get through Mexico City, I'm probably tapping out. Yeah. Right? Mexico City. Unless, unless, unless Acapulco. Yeah. And the Yucatan. Unl- Yucatanians. Unless it's a resort community, I'm probably not going to know very many of the names. And I've, my uh, uh, foray into Mexico was Tijuana when I was down uh, 20 years ago golfing in San Diego, just wandered over to see I'd been there. I wasn't there long either. So that's, that's not going to, that's not going to give you much. Maybe Tijuana would be a good place to put a football team because they'd be close enough to have followed the Chargers. Okay, so here are the cities. I just had to look this one up. So the cities, in, now, and again, we're saying this not to embarrass anybody. It's to say their knowledge of our cities like Winnipeg and Hamilton or what, is the same as right. your listening now, your knowledge of Saltillo, Coahuila, Monterey. I've heard of Monterey. Yep. Uh, Toluca. You ever heard of Toluca? Not till now. Naucalpam de Juarez, uh, Pueblo City, yes, I've heard of that. Mexico City, yes, Mexico City, yes, Mexico City, yes. They have three teams in Mexico City. They're like L.A. with the NFL now. <laughs> now Mexico City can probably support three teams Mexico City if has it like works. 25 or 30 million people. Of course it can yeah. do that. But it's a country. Again, if you were to tell me that we were getting a star player or, or sorry, that uh, here in Hamilton we're going to be having a football game this week starring the Saltillo Dinos. Huh? I assume it would be taco night. I don't, I well, I would think it would be soccer, quite frankly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's. I still don't, I still don't get the rationale that you're now having a draft of Mexican players. And by the way, the capacity for most of these places, 1,500, 1,500, 800, 1,000. This is not a, the CFL is not, it seems, tapping into, as I say, a rich vein of untapped greatness. They may not beat the Hamilton Hurricanes. I guarantee you they wouldn't beat the Hamilton Hurricanes. I would bet all my money they wouldn't beat the Hamilton Hurricanes. Because it's a startup. It's a it's a brand new league for many of them. It's a brand new sport to play. They I, I have do no they do doubt. It? Do they do it in high school? 
I would doubt it. But I, and I have no doubt that many of them are terrific athletes yep. with great athletic ability, but the background they have in American football or Canadian football, not so much. Anyway, I just, I, I, I heard all this today and just can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. You've got enough problems. Can't figure out why Mexico is the answer to your problems. Well, you know, one thing I will tip my hat to them is uh, tip a hat for creativity. I mean, they're trying something. They're thinking outside the box and it's trying to creativity. Do Let's set up shop in Guam. Let's go to I don't know. I didn't say it was great creativity. Let's go to Greenland. Let's let's hit up Greenland. They got a lot of people there who need something to do. I guess. I don't know what else you do in Greenland. I don't know if anyone even lives in Greenland. I am assuming there's some people in Greenland, but well, you got your grumpy pants on. Well, no, I just this this to me is a league that has issues in certain areas. And it seems like the, the the attention is being focused to the bright, shiny object rather than to the stuff that needs to be done. It's like if your house has sprung a leak and you say, yeah, but you know what? I really need, I really like that 60-inch TV. Well, you only have money for either to fix the plumbing or to buy the TV. I'm going to take the TV. We'll take our chances on the plumbing. Well, they might be trying to get somebody, to, uh, a bunch of fans to squirrel a bit and, hey, look over there. Yeah, well, Maybe. Or, or maybe it's, hey, road trip to Mexico. Well, you better Saskatchewan's see, road trip to Mexico. All the, all the watermelon heads are heading down to Mexico be, for this one. You better snap up one of those 800 tickets pretty quick. <laughs> you would think so. Those are going to be some pricey Grey Cup tickets. The Canadians are coming. They're bringing two planes, so they got all the tickets. They got a, Yeah, well, we're going to have a Grey Cup down there one time. The tickets will be $52,000 a piece. But boy, those Mexicans are going to love it. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, have you been watching any of the Carolina Hurricanes post-game celebrations? No. So they have, the Hurricanes have taken post-game celebrations, and you know now a lot of teams, most NHL teams will skate to center ice and just raise their stick as a team or whatever to acknowledge yep. the crowd. The Hurricanes have now done things like lining up at center ice and racing to the end boards and as a group all jumping into the end boards together or whatever. They've come up with all these goofy, creative, ridiculous, some would say childish antics. And some people think it's brilliant and hilarious and lighthearted and fun. And other people say, this is really, come on, it's the NHL. You're the best league in the world. Behave like you're a professional hockey player, not like an Adam who just scored his first goal. What, do you have any problem with these kind of things? Do you, are you Don Cherry? Do you believe that all celebrations should be muted and kept under wraps? Or are you like, you know what? No, if you score, if you win, knock yourself out. Well, um, you know, a lot of teams do the glove tap along the bench and when they score a goal, we don't. I like to think our guys should act like we've done this before and it's not the first time we've ever scored a goal. <clears throat> what if a guy so, does score his first ever goal? Is he allowed to do it? No. Okay. Because right, well, it's not, not his first be- goal. Well, maybe. It is with us, but it's not his first goal. <laughs> anyway, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's we're pretty, but, you know, our numbers only go to number 30. You know, lots of guys wear 86, 94 and stuff like that. So we're a bit more traditional that way. Um, but in Carolina, when they're having trouble drawing and the National Hockey League is in the entertainment business and if the players are on for it, which they seem to be, then, you know, have at it. I mean, it might look a little silly, but they're trying to sell tickets. And the players know if they don't sell tickets, it's they have trouble getting paid. 
uh, well, they will get paid, but they have, you know, it's going to kill their owner. You know, if some people like it, then, you know, the Americans do things in a sports manner uh, at minor league baseball games, minor league baseball games that weren't done when the Hamilton Redbirds were here. They do a lot more creative things to entertain their fans than just play the game. Mm-hmm. And if they have to take that to, show. to the National Hockey League level to increase the entertainment package, then you know what? Who am I to judge them? Well, last segment we were talking about Vegas Golden Knights. And in the finals last year, it was... Describe- TV. Yeah, but describing it as over the top is an understatement. Yep, it was, it, it was an entertainment package. They took every thing that was schlocky and ridiculous from Vegas and threw it all into one big blender and said, here you go. (laughs) They had laser light shows. They had singers. They had gladiators. They had bows and arrows. They had announcers with British accents for reasons that I don't really understand, who I think was from Burlington, if I recall correctly, by the way. Uh, They had, like, it was, they took everything from every, the only thing missing was a couple white tigers and Elvis. Well, they had guys dropping from the ceiling every game. And you I mean, know they had what? it all. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. Now, I don't know if the teams that were playing against them thought it was fun, but I thought it was fun. I, I mean, I didn't have a dog in that fight, so it didn't matter to me. I didn't go into the game hating the Vegas Golden Knights, so th- thinking all that stuff was just rubbing sand in my face, and so I got to get even with them. I, that was not it at all. I, I thought it was hilarious, and I was all for it. Do it every night. Same with Nashville. I think they do do it every night. Pretty close. Not like that. That's That was up to a yeah. crazy degree. Same with Nashville. I thought that Nashville's um, two years ago when Nashville made the finals and every game they had a different anthem singer. Now, it wasn't way over the top, but it was part of the whole thing of who's going to be the anthem singer tonight. It was part of the show. Yeah. I saw nothing wrong with that. Br- bring it on. Let's make this a spectacle. I, frankly... I was shocked, Don, that after seeing the success of how many people tuned in to that Vegas thing last year, I really kind of almost thought, you know what they should do? Let's make it a half hour show before the game. Well, and 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 every ho- night, and Hockey Night in Canada carried the opening. Well, yeah, and they were like, it they was were, it wasn't just for the fans in the arena. They thought enough of the opening that they carried it, and it was six or seven minutes. Yeah, on the long ones, but I'm saying, let, why would you not? If you've seen now that you can make entertainment and hockey coexist, why do you not have a full concert in the stands for half an hour before the game with show and with everything else? I, well, there's a couple things. First of all, I was fortunate enough to go to Game Seven with Edmonton and Carolina when Carolina won the Stanley Cup, and I pulled up in the cab at game time because I didn't know I was going till 10:30 in the morning that day. So I roar up. And the guy said, this is as close as I can get you. They had a band outside the arena. Now, you have to have to realize that some of the functions that can take place um, in the southern, uh, the Sun Belt, we can't do up here, outside the building. I mean, you can, but I don't know who's going to go. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of hubbub uh, in Maple Leaf Square because they have a TV screen the size of uh, Tim Horton Field. But it, it is more difficult up here to do what they do down there. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, quite bluntly, do not have to provide that kind of entertainment to their fans. Would they? Let us say, let us let us throw out the craziest thing that anyone says, because it hasn't happened in my lifetime. Let us say the Maple Leafs made it to the finals. 
would or should the Maple Leafs say, you know, we don't have to do this, but we are going to go bananas here and have bands and have concerts and have this and have that. L- let's have 10 city blocks in every direction from Air Canada Centre jammed with people. I think they will. You think they would? Yeah, I think they would because because it'll just create a bigger frenzy. N- not that they need it. See, that's the interesting part. I that's think right. they would. It's not likely going to make them a dime, which is maybe, inter- which, maybe. Is, which is interesting because they get more for their tickets than I believe any team in the National Hockey League, and you can't get the tickets. But if you had all, so those they're not pe- Carolina. No, but if you had, a, you're, you're not at risk of not selling out a, a Stanley Cup Finals game. There's no chance the Leafs are going to have a no. risk of that. <laughs> And then if you have five or ten city blocks in every direction, there's nobody coming down there who's not going to be wearing blue with something Maple Leaf on it. So you've got merchandise you're going to be selling, and you've got food you could be selling, and you've got more merchandise you're going to be selling. Yeah. But you're going to sell that anyway. I, I think the reality is if the Leafs ever got to the Stanley Cup Finals, the, the Leaf sweaters, the Austin Matthews sweaters, and Mitch Marner sweaters are going to be flying off the shelf. Of course. No, of course they would. I, I just, I, I've wondered... It's been a while now since Canadian teams made it to the finals. The last, I mean, the Oilers were there. The Canucks were there against Boston when they lost. The one I really remember was when the Flames were there back in 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and they had the Red Mile where everybody after the game all dressed in red went down and it was huge. The whole main street of Calgary became a gigantic party. Has anybody been there since the Oilers were? That was like that was like oh, no the Canucks that would have been 2006. Since then. Yeah, the Canucks would have been since then. They lost to the Bruins in about 2010 or nine, in Game Seven. Remember the the Canucks were up three games to one, and then they ended up losing that series and oh. then burned the city to the ground. But <laughs> it was, it, I would be very interested to see because the Leafs are not the Carolina Hurricanes. The Leafs are much more stoic. They're much more. They would argue that our fans are more knowledgeable and more into the game and not the other stuff. And I'm telling you, I, I would love if that ever happened, if the Leafs loosened their collar a little bit, not, you don't have to do it in the arena even. All right. In the arena, you keep doing what you've done. It works. It's fine. Everyone's buying your tickets, but outside go nuts, have the bands and have the, this and have the, that and have whatever, like it's been 50 years. It is part of the hoopla. And I I think, you. I mean, they they do it now. I mean, they do it, we the North, when the Raptors are playing. And even when the Leafs were on the road in uh, Boston last year in the playoffs, they had massive crowds out front there, and, and it was on the Jumbotron. And that's, but that's easy. That That's easy. That yeah, that takes is. no effort for the Leafs. You just, you just set up some barricades and hire a few security people, and the people show up. I'm talking about doing something that— Have the Arkells there. Yeah. And, and do a and, show beforehand. And more than, as I say, more than just that one little block. Don, if the the truth is, if the Leafs were ever to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, and anyone who's been down to that part of Toronto between the Air Canada Centre and Rogers Centre knows there is a road yep. that connects the two. It's a long road. It's probably half a kilometre or a kilometre long almost between the two buildings. Shut the city down. You could fill that whole... I don't even know what street that is. I can't remember what the name of it is. But you could fill that entire street with people for a a street party with screens up everywhere watching the Leafs. And and yet at the same time, I think the Leafs will probably just say, no, we'll put our 500 people in that little Maple Leaf square and we'll think that's good enough. 
I hope that I'm wrong because I would. Lo- I don't think you need to be as goofy as Carolina is all the time. I, I know why they're doing it. I don't have a problem with it. But I would love if that day ever came to think that the Leafs would be fun. That the Leafs would decide that they're going to do fun. And I don't th- know if they and, will. And think it's okay. And be fine with it, yeah. Look, that it's not cheapening I mean, our brand. Look it's at how fun. much fun Vegas was. And if... Again, back to Carolina, if we circle back there, if that's what they're doing and their fans like it and it's working for them, then they should keep doing it. And you mentioned the Raptors. The Raptors have to do that more because they're still a a developing brand. They're certainly, in the last few years, they've had lots of opportunity and they're much more established. But for a long time, they've been struggling to grab a foothold. It's like 20 years. Yeah, but but they were horrible for 16 years. It's the past four or three that they've been very good. So... They always were struggling for that foothold. You had to do that kind of stuff. Yep. But even now, I wonder if even they will be able to have the fun level now that they've reached that degree of success. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I hope one of the two is put in that position to be tested and see. I'd love it if one of the two or both were in the finals. It would be uh, a very good friend of mine um, who you know used to run an NHL team said, if the Toronto Maple Leafs go to the Stanley Cup Finals, it's good for the hockey business in Canada. Of course it is. And if the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors both make it to the Finals, you know who it's good for? Everybody. The, and the Toronto Blue Jays, because no one will pay attention when they start out 2-47 yeah. and 47 this year. And I don't know who they're going to beat. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll have some teams where the other guys decide to all take the day off. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.